You're listening to Microspy, a podcast that takes a closer look at the lives and work of musicians and creatives I admire. My name is Eric Rattensperger. In this episode, I speak with Jeff Garlick of the band Orchid. Though Orchid hailed from Massachusetts, Jeff grew up in Connecticut like me, and not surprisingly, we were exposed to a lot of the same bands. We talk about the Connecticut hardcore scene in the mid-90s, and how the state acted as a sieve for bands that came through between New York and Boston. Jeff also talks about his relationship with hardcore, and the pros and cons that have come with it as he's become older. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jeff Garlock of Orchid. Thinking about our days growing up in Connecticut and going to shows, mm-hmm. going to venues like the Tune In, which yes. we're both very familiar with, I think that's actually one of the epicenters of punk rock, where we learned of a lot of the bands that um, kind of became staples in in our sort of archives or yeah. um, you know our selections of of very formative bands. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my entry point into hardcore and into that world uh, was going to shows at the tune-in. Like, I, I went to a handful of, you know, VFW hall shows uh, uh, in neighboring Hamden, uh, et cetera. But, yeah, no, like, every weekend I was at the tune-in. Like, once, twice, maybe three times a weekend, and then once I started playing shows in Connecticut, uh, I, I literally, I was there every week. Like, it was that, that was the place. Yeah. Because not only was it... You know, I think it was maybe a hundred fifty cap room, mm-hmm. but they also had the record store, Elevator right? Music, where yes. I would buy. I mean, where I bought the Brace demo, I'm sure. But that's the thing, Fernando Pinto, who ran that, he kind of created it all for us. In a lot of ways, like I'm like, oh, do I uh, thank Fernando for everything? Like where I ended up with music, uh, you know, because eventually, it, you know, because we're from Connecticut, Jamie Jasta. Which I still call him, uh, Jamie from Hatebreed. Right. He eventually started booking shows outside of the tune in. But Fernando gave my band its first show, like, uh, you know, a terrible show with some, you know, uh, Boston Groovecore merchants, I believe they were called the Stick Men, that just wasn't my <laughs> cup of tea. Uh, and I'm sure we played like a 45 minute set because you're young and you're like, I got to play every song we know. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it to was like an all ages club. The what? To like 10 people. To like 10 people. Who are all your friends. I definitely sold a demo to my future girlfriend. (laughs) That's about it. Uh, But he had a store. Like he had a store. It was all ages. There was no alcohol. Uh, And at that store, I'd be like, okay, this is where I'll get every demo t-shirt. And then slowly, like a combination of that and then having access to this record store, Phoenix Records uh, in Waterbury, Connecticut. I was never a big trash American style just because it was very far away. But that also speaks to like scenes at that point. It's one of the reasons I think we didn't probably both area can be a big thing. Yep. Like just because you're in Connecticut, I never went to Studio 158 because mm-hmm. it was far away. Yes. It would mean I have to convince my mom that I can borrow the car to drive all the way to Studio 158. Also, in, in hardcore and punk, like a couple months can change what scene you're in like I think you're like a little bit younger than me but you were one of the older crew because Brace would play with like uh, the era right before me and so you know when I was getting into it like I definitely saw you guys very early on along with you know probably the end of dismay and then like (laughs) overcast dissolve like all those 100% I mean that's that's sort of the world that I came up on in Connecticut I was around 15, 16 years old. I had started that band. And the bands that were coming through at the time I was going to shows at that age were Dismay, mm-hmm. Dissolve. Right. Uh, there was a band called Frostbite. Yeah. Cornerstone, Fast Cornerstone, Break. big one. A lot of Youth Crew stuff. And then a lot of the more metal type stuff like Overcast from Boston. Mm-hmm. And those seemed like those were the bands that were... I think very influential in sort of how I received and understood punk rock and hardcore. It was like a, you mentioned geographics, you know, and I, and I feel like Connecticut geographically was such a interesting place to be at the time right. when punk rock was happening because, and I actually spoke 
about this with Tom Mullins from Washed Up Emo, who I know you also yes. interviewed with a while back. We were talking about how Connecticut was almost like this, uh, not pit stop, but it was in between Boston and New York. Yeah. So all And all, the tune-in would be the collector. Exactly. It was like a sieve that pulled in all of a sudden, oh, I, I'm going to see Earth Crisis, a pile, and I'm going to see Dead Guy, I'm going to see Bloodline, I'm yes. going to see the 108 Coalesce tour. Exactly. Because they've got to fill in, like, at, once you start touring, you realize, like, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's a long drive from New York to Boston. Like, it kind of sucks. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's why we were so lucky as young kids, because we were sort of in this... This in between, in between spot. Zone. And, yeah. and, and I, speaking of Dead Guy, mm-hmm. it reminds me of one of my most memorable shows that I saw uh, at the tune in was Dead Guy, Snapcase, New Year's and, Eve show. And refused. Were you I there? was there. <laughs> it was a great show. My uh, girlfriend at the time was not psyched because I'm pretty sure they did the countdown. But it, in my brain, and I think it's a lie, is Snapcase was playing, yes. it hit midnight. Yes. And then when it hit Happy New Year's, it went like, incarnation. <laughs> and I wasn't going to stand next to her to kiss her. I needed to stage dive when they played Incarnation. <laughs> but it was a great show. Yes. And that's a, that's also a fun Fernando thing. I remember they advertised it and we still, some of my best friends still talk about that there was going to be a buffet that we could all eat. And by the time we got there, which was very early, there were like three baby carrots on a fucking plate that next to buffet. some fucked up promise on that bar <laughs> that no one ever drank from because I only sold soda and I wasn't going to pay for soda because I needed to buy a brace demo. Like, honestly, like, it was always like, oh, I'm not buying food. Like, I I got it. But that show was a huge one. Well, it it was because I think that might have been the first time that Refused came to the States. Yeah. And it was on songs to fan the flames of discontent. They still had the, the zine. Like the like how whatever how to smash capitalism yeah, or something yeah. Un- unbelievable but Cut that pace of situationist manifesto is basically <laughs> those guys in particular is what really blew my mind in terms of what a live show could be right in the realm of punk rock I mean Snapcase they were good and at the time I I really did like them I mean the first time I heard Looking Glass Self I was you know. My high school yearbook quote has a Snapcase (laughs) quote in it. And they're also, I'm sure they're all very nice guys, not a band that like lives up in my brain anymore. Right, Versus Refused has some spot. And Dead Guy, Dead Guy, I was on the other end. Like Dead Guy was, oh, this is what live music could be. And Dead Guy was also, in my view, sort of the band that acted as a window to all those other weirdo bands like mm-hmm. Rorschach. Yes. And like, you know, more like like the, the bands that were sort of off the beaten path that weren't like, I mean, even though Dead Guy ironically had a record on Victory. Yeah. And so did Refused. But these bands, to me, weren't Victory bands. Right. It was a very weird time. Which is a weird logic. I mean, that's the other part. It's like young kid weird logic. Because, like, ultimately, in retrospect, I've had this debate with someone recently, which is part of why this podcast exists. I'm 41. I still have these debates with uh, our buddy, uh, good buddy Pete Zetlin. uh, Yes. Full of Dreams and my buddy Matt Moraham. But uh, where I was just like, I I think I like Victory better than Discord Records. Like, I'm just going to say, just like, like if I'm going by pure numbers, you've got Bloodlet Entheogen, Mm -hmm. Dead Guy, Fixation on a Coworker. Yep. I'm still a big supporter of Earth Crisis, uh, <laughs> musically. Yeah. Like, uh, and as someone who, uh, you know, can appreciate uh, sketchy politics, uh, where you're just like, ah, eh, what are you going to do? Everyone's kind of a mess. And I can kind of keep going. Now that you've got your hi-fi and the road burners and your baby go pals in there, but it's just when I finally have to be honest to myself and I'm just like, yeah, I don't really like Revolution Summer and I don't like most of Discord. It just really? never spoke to me. And there's a period where you think it has to, but you know, like I, I'm aware of kind of some of the crap that I like and stand behind, but like, like, uh, you know, rights of spring means nothing to me. I can really respect the clarity that you have in sort of, you know, identifying the records that actually had a profound effect on you when you were a, a younger punk, mm-hmm. you know, where a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like, you know, of course, Fugazi or like Dag Nasty and like right. Scream or, you know, right. Rites of Spring. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's what I was, that's like, that's what I'm supposed to like. Right. And out liked. of all that, I'm like, yeah, Minor Threat's still the best. Yeah. I don't like Embrace. I don't care about Rites of Spring. I like the void side of the Faith Void split. And then a lot of that is just like, yeah, it's just not made for me. It's, as I get older, too, and like part of why I loved 
punk always was like, I'm a snob. Like I can, I, I appreciate. A lot of us are. Yes. Being a punk is about being a snob. Being a punk is about, uh, uh, and that's the other part too. I'm even saying being a punk because that's what we're saying. I would always be a snob about that too. Where like it would frustrate me when at a certain point everyone's like, we're not even in a hardcore band. We're in a punk band. Right. I'm like, no. Like Orchid is a hardcore band to me. I am hardcore. I like hardcore. Right. <laughs> like punk is like a kind of like now we're getting older and for some reason it's like a vaguer term, but also like fuck that. If I'm gonna sit here and be like, no, I like Funeral Doom, uh, but I don't like uh, this type of di-, but it's like I hate gore grind. But if I can go into subgenres of every metal, it's the same I feel about hardcore. Like I am a hardcore kid. I'm not a punk kid. I am a hardcore kid. Yes. Uh, and so with that. I do think I end up having it's almost like part of my also personality of being not ashamed of the past but also not ashamed of bands I like especially when it, because I do think that's a punk thing too going back to like it was just like oh you can't admit that it's just like no I saw Corn on their first tour why because that first record was pretty good at the time before new metal was a thing and what was i wearing to that show a strife shirt like who else was there it was all hardcore kids because freaking lords of brooklyn played and sugar ray who were terrible but like i've got no problem with that and so yeah but also that means like i don't need to as i get older again as trying to like fight against just being essentially like just a snob about it all or as much as i want to be uh, is that it just wasn't made for me I try to say that sentence all the time I think that growing up where we grew up in Connecticut Mm -hmm. it really was about hardcore yeah it wasn't about punk it wasn't about punk was the pissed and brutally familiar right for going in Connecticut which I loved I had no interest in, in any of that. Right. That's the thing. You know, so I'm like, so you were a hardcore kid. You weren't a punk. I absolutely, I absolutely came up as a hardcore kid. And to tell you the truth, my my exposure to bands like Dag Nasty comes up because I think of the skate videos that I right. grew up watching. And those types of bands would pop up on, on a random video, whether it was them or Bad Religion. Mm-hmm. Or like, and then you start kind of getting out even like, in a wider realm of, of these these types of bands where, you know, and similar to what you were saying, where, like, you'd be wearing a Strife shirt to a show. I, I mean, I don't know. Well, we talked about elevator music at the tune-in, and I just remember, like, my, my one of my first band T-shirts I bought was a Neurosis T-shirt. Which is awesome, and I wish I was buying... That's the thing. Like, I look, I wish I could say I was buying a Neurosis shirt in fucking high school. It wasn't until college. Now, like, to, like, a younger kid who likes Neurosis, it might be like, oh, yeah, you bought Through Silver and Blood because it came out. Yeah. Like, I remember Through Silver and Blood, but I wasn't an enemy of the sun person at the, because I just didn't get into... Like, because of what I was saying, even, like... Going back to, you know, history of music, like for me, like, you know, I wasn't into music growing up a little bit like I was a reaction to even my family. They were very into like classic rock, et cetera, Mm. which has become a big love of mine and not in a Steve Miller band sort of way. But fucking the Scorpions are the best. Thin Lizzy is the best. Uh, And then Weird Al Yankovic was the first music I got into. It just was like I got way into it. And then it was Primus. Like it was just like. Well, Primus is another band that I actually think I discovered through a skate video. I'm sure. I think it was Plan B's Questionable Reality. I think they 50-50 down a rail of like a 20 set of stairs in the rain. Right. And they were playing Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Fucking great. (laughs) I can picture it right now. It works wonderfully. Uh, Yeah. But that's the thing. Like in in that mix, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, you know, I'm getting uh, into industrial. I'm getting into random punk. You know, and being like, Ugh, I don't really like the Sex Pistols, if I'm being honest. I don't really like the Ramones, if I'm being honest. I don't like the Ramones, and I never really paid attention to the Sex Pistols. Yeah, I, they've got one record, and it's fine, but they're annoying. Like, honestly, like, as time has gone, I find no rev. Like, I don't have much reverence for... I, I, I appreciate... That's another part, too, is, like, a lot of times now as I get older, I go... I can say, like, I appreciate that band. I appreciate what they brought to the world. It sounds like... And this, again, I think we kind of lived similar trajectories in our younger years as punks because you, you also have to consider the landscape in how you become exposed to music when mm-hmm. you're younger because you don't have Spotify to deep dive right. on, like every single band that is recommended through an algorithm. Mm -hmm. It's more like I was at this show and I saw this band that I wanted to see. And then this band happened to play that fucking blew me away. Mm -hmm. 
And it was a more organic type of dot connecting. I mean, my origin story was, if I'm going in the origin story to actual hardcore, to some extent, I guess it was Rollins Band. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, reading about Fugazi and, you know, me and the singer of Orchid J, like we've known each other since junior high. So like, right. You, you grew up in the same town, in the same town, went to school. Like I've known since. Yeah. Like, and so to get records, we would pool our money and just be like, you'll get this tape. I'll get this tape and then we can copy it. So I think he bought Repeater when I bought Guar's Hello at the same time. But then like, you know, Headbangers Ball was huge for me because I'm also like a metal guy. Like I was never like in high school like like it was just like i always loved metal but wasn't like long hair metal right. dude but then i saw quicksand dine alone video or and or phaser video my aunt who was very into poison and hair metal bands had a bunch of like rip magazines she gave me an article in quicksand and it listed off all of the bands that they were in that was it man like because if you go from quicksand you've got burn bold beyond absolution youth of today gorilla biscuits and then also you know at the time of course into fucking uh you know i was at loud blues in 93 like i loved rage against the machine's first record yeah i love too. inside out a lot more because i yes. read an article and i also was like oh lockup is not for me tom morello's <laughs> like funk metal band it's just not my bag inside out is still one of the best in my band switch dance would cover inside out but it was like and then once you get all those bands that's also why I had tapes of them because I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna. It's cheaper to buy a tape. I'm gonna go to Phoenix or I'm gonna go to Fernando and I'm gonna buy uh, the tape. And then I'm like, oh, Burn only put out one record. I guess I just own it on tape now. But then all of a sudden you look in the thanks list and then you're like, okay. Or you're like, oh, New Age Records. I seem to like two or three bands on New Age Records. I guess I should buy every record on New Age Records. Yeah. And that's where you start doing the, like, what you could do as a YouTube hole or a Spotify hole. But for me, like, that was, I think, the entry point for a lot of us. And also, like, punks of our age got to attribute to, like, you know, the, the help of BMG and Columbia House. Like, what a great way to get piles and piles of dumb CDs and just be like, oh, I'm not ready for the Jesus Lizard just yet, but I will be ready for them down the line. The punk rock version of that for me, or like the underground version of that, was Crank. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had all these different types of bands, and so going beyond the bands that we came up with growing up in Connecticut, you start seeing that there was these other bands right. that are almost even further outside the the genre or realm of punk that you understood as a kid, like you know the more quote unquote emo stuff sure that, like mineral right or um you know cap and jazz and uh once you start to realize that there especially at that time there are these other scenes because connecticut uh, I, i'm sure you had the five or six bands you always played with yep but like honestly if i go back like every weekend it was okay switch stance and then all i ask for a bit is gonna play a show with Fast break, tenfold. Some of all fears. Remember fault uh, line. Fault line. Ground zero. Ground work. Like or, or or blood work. Twenty five to life. Twenty five to life. I mean, I've seen twenty five to life more they were, than any band. They were band. at the tune in almost every weekend. It seemed there was. I I remember distinctly as twenty five to life show where I think Jamie from Hatebreed was banned from tw- from tune in by by Fernando for Why? something. There was some fight or something, and so they were banned. And so they played twenty five to life. Played not one truth by Hatebreed. Which was crazy, but also they played Inside Knowledge, one of their big songs, three times because every time a new batch of their crew would come in, they'd be like, yo, Skibo's here. Like, we got to play Inside Knowledge again. And then you'd be like, I guess we're just going to watch Inside Knowledge. But that's the thing is like also growing in Connecticut, you're like, I'm going to be inundated with like, I'm going to see Fury of Five a surprising amount or play with them at the Connecticut Bike Exchange. And out of that, some of it weeds through, just like when you get into any scene. Like when you got you mentioned skate videos, you get into skate videos and then all of, or snowboard videos, and you're like, oh, there's punk slash pop punk, and then you're like, I guess I'll check out everything on the Punkorama comp, and then eventually everything on Fat Records, and then as you get older, if you're like me, you're like, I don't really need to listen to any pop punk except for Ten Foot Pole for some reason, and it's it's like that. You're inundated with so much mosh in Connecticut, and I love mosh. When it's awesome, right. but because I love a good riff. I like, and Hatebreed are the masters. It's not just because we're from Connecticut. I'm just like, yeah, Hatebreed writes the best songs. And then slowly, just to finish up on that, like what you say is like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, Overcasts is, for me, was one of my favorites. Dissolve were one of my favorites. They did such interesting stuff. Dissolve, I think, was a very unsung band. I think they were uh, very sophisticated in how they wrote music and mm-hmm. 
just their whole their whole vibe and i i think that band actually had some some pretty troubling times like i think one of them was was jumped or something the right. drummer maybe was attacked i and think so i don't know but they uh, were a huge influence on me in like writing lyrics like that was like i remember distinctly just like the way he wrote lyrics was so specific well and i thought his delivery was also very unique at the time it's almost not like he was rapping but it had such a like commanding uh, he had his phrasing. The, his phrasing was very specific. Yes. He had oddly the same thing that, like, as a defender of the band Clutch, like where I'm like, I would never want anyone else to sing or write lyrics like Neil Fallon from Clutch, but because he's got such, he it is his like phrasing and weird. I'm just like, yeah, he's got a command of the audience, and that's how Dissolve always felt. Where I was just like, you'd be like, oh yeah, no, I'm watching a bunch of kids playing, like kind of just whatever riffs, like they're fine, and then they would play and be like, oh, like your his intensity was matching dead guy like the singer and then like it was just it was distinctly uh its own thing and it was very much noticeably better than most bands that were playing that stage at the time and they're definitely one of those bands i'm like should have been should bigger yeah they should have been much bigger but it's like from those sort of bands is where you get the neuroses like for me like it's like i remember like seeing like uh you know the dude from overcast wearing a cynic shirt and i was like Mm. i guess i'll find out who cynic is and then i'm like oh this is crazy jazz fusion death metal oh this these guys played in death like oh now i love death human like and then you start again like that's the you know i I think the kids still have that like and i'm glad they do like the the spiral of music is the most important part to like all i care about is finding more and more honestly can you walk me through like sort of the the moment where you felt things transition to a different realm of punk rock at college it's college. It really is. Like, I mean, like... It, Where did in, you go to college? Uh, Boston University. Okay, so you you went from Connecticut, and then suddenly you find yourself in Boston. Yes, and a big chunk of why I picked Boston was, like, uh, it was close to Connecticut at the time. Like, we were still playing, and I was like, I want to be able to get back for practice and play shows, and I was like, Boston's got enough of a scene, but I think the, you know... Especially back then. Yeah, exactly. And it was just, the scene was just starting up again. Like, I remember in going to Boston and being at, like, a show where, like, it was like a 10-yard fight show at a church, but there almost was a fight. And I remember, like, people screaming at each other, like, on the stage, just like, this is what ruined the scene before. Mm-hmm. Like, we're trying to save it right now. Because, like, I remember someone was, like, yelling at Wolfpack, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is, like, Boston Crew shit that I know nothing about. Now, granted, like, FSU and all that was existing at the time, but, like, everyone was kind of integrating fine. But, uh, you know, for me, like, a trajectory of getting into hardcore and getting into punk is, like, you've got your entry points, whatever they are, and then you find a thing that you're like, this is my scene. Like, now I'm a hardcore kid, quote, unquote. That is it. I'm not going to tell anyone I listen to Skinny Puppy. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone that I really love ministry. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone about all this other stuff, like, because now I look the part, like, and now I'm doing it. And it's, and there are certain bands that for some reason get passes, like in a different phase, be like, we can, we're fine listening to the Smiths. We're fine listening to Radiohead, whatever it is, but you have to kind of hide it. And then I think college started to be like, oh, I don't have to hide it as much as well as we talked about all these different scenes. All of a sudden, because we had the unity of hardcore, quote unquote, all of a sudden, that's who hung out. The hardcore kids hung out. But there'd be a hardcore kid from Jersey. There'd be a hardcore kid from D.C. There'd be a hardcore... And it was like... I remember going in the cafeteria, our top 10 bands, and they couldn't have been more divergent. Like, it was just like the kid from Staten Island. It was so clear he was from Staten Island. It's like, it's like Life of Agony, my favorite band. I was like, of course. And then my buddy Matt, who I'm still good friends with, is like, favorite band was Black Sabbath. And I was like, that's almost verboten in a certain sect. And then for me, I think I just list off every single victory band and Unbroken. And then Neil from In My Eyes was in school with us and every band was a revelation band. And it was like at that point. But then I remember like you start to meet these people and you start to all of a sudden not hang out with hardcore kids again. Like my wife who I met in college, she was into indie pop. Like and shit I just never really got and still kind of don't. Like Bell and Sebastian and then some. But all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe there's other things. And then also some of these kids start to get into drinking and drugs or whatever. But like for me, I remember breaking up with my high school girlfriend and going to this huge metal fest in Northampton that had like one of the best shows I've ever seen with like Converge, Dead Guy, Ire, Coalesce. And it was like every band I could want to see. And they were all were fucking top of the game. And I bought One-Eyed God Prophecies LP. My buddy Matt had told me he found it on a summer break. 
when I got Prophecy changed everything. Like, if you know Orchid and you don't know the bands that I, at least as the member of Orchid, who's always just like, yeah, no, listen to bands from Ottawa, Canada, and Bremen, Germany. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's what Orchid is. You list off anything else, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm sure everyone had their, I know everyone had their own influences in Orchid, but, like, listen to Union of Uranus, Drift, and One Eyed God Prophecy, and then listen to Sistral, and listen to Acme, and then listen to, you know, for me, Inane, and I like Lindsay, and all those bands from Percoro. But, like, that One Eyed God Prophecy record changed my life. And then that's where it's also like, oh, Neurosis, I've always heard their name, that they're intense. I was always looking for something intense. And then all of a sudden through Silver and Blood, and then you're like, oh, now we've got Isis, and everyone's making fun of Isis for being Neurisis. And I'm like, but I'll kind of listen to them, because they kind of sound like Neurosis. So, and then all of a sudden you're like talking to people who have other, and then as time goes on, you just kind of build it and build it. And I, you know, held on, I think, for a long time to like, kind of, these are my influences, but, like, I remember, again, a future girlfriend, like, after I was graduating, she was, like, asking me, she's like, do you listen to anything but hardcore? And I, like, kind of panicked because there was a little bit. I was like, maybe I don't. But I remember saying, like, oh, I like Yes. And because I had heard Yes, like, I reminded myself I liked Yes. And then that actually then started the next phase of my life where I was like, oh, I'm very into progressive rock. I am very into crap rock. And then it keeps going where now I'm just a 40-year-old finding obscure New Age music as well as obscure tech death metal. (laughs) You know, you and I have talked off mic about this. Like, I I do think, like, if you're coming to any subculture, but especially punk and hardcore, you're not coming from the healthiest place. Like, there might be some people who are mentally healthy and stuff, but, like, I wasn't. I was coming to finally find an identity and finally, like, you know, uh, find a way to maybe be happy as, like, pretty depressed and, you know, pretty insecure in life. In retrospect, when you're like, ugh, I tried to do that by kind of replicating the same issues I had with my family or old friends and oh, I hate high school, so let me just go to this thing that's just another click where it's like you can't tell people you like Skinny Puppy or you've created it in your brain that you can't tell people. And then it's not until you get older and like it's still not that expansive of a palette, but you're like, I liked Hatebreed. And all of a sudden I realized that this one Hatebreed song was just a ripoff of this one in Tomb song from fucking the Crawl EP. Like it's literally like note for note. I was like, I guess I should check out Swedish death metal. But then also where does that lead me? Once you're able to kind of break free from the kind of clicky aspect and remember that like that was another part of too of like growing up and how I continued to feel in Orchid and how I continued to feel in Panthers. And I don't think I'm revisionist history aligned to myself. Like, I just didn't care about the scene, quote unquote. I cared about my friends, but like, I, the music is legitimately why I was there. Yeah. And the energy, like, there was nothing better than Coalesce destroying their equipment. Like, it was like, life change i mean it was life change like i like all i ask basically grew out of switch stance because we saw just from coalesce like destroy his guitar and and just have no concept of like oh we have to have any sort of melody like you know and there's not even really a mosh to it like but it's this most fucked up part and same with dead guy and again that's the beauty too like something like dead guy led me to all of my next loves where I was like, oh, there's an entire scene in New Jersey based around this tritone chord, like in this discordant fucked up thing. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got Rorschach and I've got Time's Up and I've got Discordant Axis, Human Remains uh, and River Black now, like Process Black, (laughs) like it's insane. And then it just happened that Jay was kind of feeling along the same path and Will, you know, had his own set of influences. Like obviously coming from like more of a grindcore world, like Will is someone who knew about Went on tour with Spaz before I even knew who the fuck Spaz was. Well, I could sit there and explain every 25 to Life song. Like, you know, and like, <laughs> that's the way it is. It's very clear that you have consumed and have retained this sort of like encyclopedic ability to just recall all of these bands that have influenced you along the way or have had some kind of effect on you. And I think it's amazing because I think for a lot of the people who are listening to this conversation, they're probably going to want to actually look up some of these bands that they might not have heard of that have an association to bands that they do know. I wanted to get back to your time in Orchid. Now, 
It's funny how you tell me that you weren't really that musical growing up, and then you, you kind of started listening to Weird Al, and, and then Headbangers Ball became sort of the platform of discovery, and, and uh, at least one of the main ones. You clearly have expressed like a, a love for this type of music. And I think that's an amazing thing. But what I would really love to hear you talk about is how it led you to becoming the musician that you became, especially when you kind of broke from the mold. Like once you, once you, you said once you uh, went to college, that's where like the floodgates kind of opened, where like you feel like you felt like you didn't have to be slotted in or you didn't have to like a particular genre of music. It, it, it suddenly like the, the doors blew wide open. And then shortly thereafter, you you joined Orchid, mm-hmm. hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. And then you, you mentioned, you know, how a lot of people in punk rock, they kind of seek refuge because they're coming from situations that are maybe less than ideal and they 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 look to punk rock as like a sacred place where they can interact with like-minded people who share a love for for loud and heavy music and expressive music once you joined orchid Mm -hmm. with jay and and will and jeff what was that like for you where suddenly you were not only I don't know how you would call it, like like musically free or, or free of uh, the fear of judgment for liking bands that went beyond the realm of traditional hardcore bands. You kind of went in the weirder route. And then suddenly you found yourself in this hardcore band that definitely embraced those same ideals where they weren't trying to be like all these bands that you grew up listening to. This band was kind of pushing the envelope, not only sonically, and of course, yeah, One-Eyed, one-eyed, one-eyed God Prophecy and Union of Uranus Maybe there was there was clear influence with bands like that, but what Orchid represented as a hardcore band and what you guys did as a group, the types of shows that you played, and the way you inter- interacted with with the other kids on the floor, what was that like for you when you suddenly found yourself in this world of a band that that clearly meant so much to to kids back then? I mean, of course, Orchid has become sort of a household name sure. in, in hardcore today 20 years later you and i are the godfather of scrams it is what it is just call it like cut that out (laughs) 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 isn't it isn't it so strange to look back on it now where you you look at this band that was just like you said you were playing with your friends right you were making music with your friends. You were traveling with your friends. You were being creative with mm-hmm. your friends. And I think you were also trusting them. Right. Because it was beyond playing bass. Mm-hmm. And it was beyond playing in a hardcore band. I think Orchid, it meant so much more. Right. What, what, can, you, what can you say about that? Or what's your take on it? I, I spend a lot of time overly thinking and maybe I'm even being revisionist history by saying I'm trying not to be revisionist history about it because I also don't want to like you know talk down on this like it I I think probably as you felt too like I wasn't completely considering it like I'm not sure even with this like you know passion and drive I'm yelling about all these bands and everything I feel like for big chunks of my life I just kind of went with it and that's part of like I think being in a band when you're in high school and you're being in a band in college where it's just like I've I've had people who don't come from punk and hardcore like you didn't have any aspirations for being like what did you think you were doing and I'm like I don't know I was just doing it like we started Switch Dance that rolled into All I Ask All I Ask rolled into these last days in college Jay rolled into starting Orchid with Will and Selene and then they needed a bass player because Brad wasn't able to anymore and I was home from break and Jay we were I remember sitting in a hot tub at Jay's house and he was just like hey we need do you think you would be able to go on tour like and and I was like yeah of course and and at the time I was jealous of Jay like because I I I thought Orchid was the first time where I was like oh this is a band that feels realized like, right. you know, like it's not like kind of a push pull, which weirdly I do think Panthers had went back to a little bit like a push pull, the different personalities. And I think a big chunk of that is because Will is just like Will's a machine. Like and I came into a somewhat even though it was a punk version, it was a punk machine. Like it was basically like, yeah, we've got a two week tour booked. Uh, it's with JD uh, and I already have time booked uh, with Kurt uh, and we're going to record the Red Scare split and the Skull split and uh, the 10 inch. Uh, and here's all the songs and uh, let's learn them. 
And so it was just like, oh, okay. And right, I think you were like that's thrown into it almost. I think Will, to some extent, still does kind of that same thing. And I think maybe I do too. Of just like, yeah, no, it, it, but you book a show, you book a tour, you just kind of do it's it. It's kind of just what you do. Yeah, it's just what you do. And when you treat it like that, and so like, I was kind of brought into a machine that was going to be going. I didn't have to help book our tour. The, what is it? The, the Tornado of Bees tour? What the fuck? Chase by Bees. Chase by Bees tour. Yes. Uh, the classic Chase by Bees uh, JD <laughs> tour. But like that was also something where like at the same time, it was a turning point like for me. Like where it was like these were high school bands. I have to skip a week of college. Like, you know, because they all went to Amherst or to Hampshire and to UMass. I went to BU. Our Christmas break was different. Every teacher, every professor that I was going to do in my film program, I had to ask them, hey, is it okay if I miss the first week? And I had at least one professor who was like, no, you can't take my independent cinema class. I think that was also the beginning of, okay, fuck it, I'll make sacrifices for playing music. Because the shows did feel like they met. They always felt like they mattered, but there was something of just like, no, this is music I really love. Right. Um, Everything uh, kind of just aligned, right? Everything because- just kind of aligned. And again, it helps that, like, why did Orchid hit? Why did JD hit? Like, why did any of those bands hit? Fucking uh, a, a bunch of luck and happenstance. Like, it was just the, in my opinion, and I don't want to ever, it's never in discounting it. It was just the perfect time for kids to be super into. Jay, who's a great lyricist anyways, but also bringing a certain type of politic that, like, yes, existed someone, like, refused, and, like, of course, Nation Ulysses, but, like, into a world where it didn't really exist. Will is a machine for writing riffs, uh, and it's insane that what he can pull out. Selene is, I think, the best uh, hardcore drummer of mm-hmm. that era. No shitting on you. You're my second favorite. And I think that's it. Like, Selene actually wrote drum riffs. Which is a big part, and to me was always what's separate. Like, I think Will just was great at writing riffs, and I would like to think the role I brought was to accentuate all of those, was to bring up just like, we have an actual riff, let's actually play it. That's my biggest thing in music. I love riffs. There are a lot of bands that I appreciate that we kind of got lumped into, where I would be like, it's kind of just a bunch of chaoticness. Not for me. Like, I want a riff that stick. That's why I love the German bands. There would always be some point in an Acme song where you're like, that's the riff I was waiting for. Same with fucking, you know, the Union Reynas song from the Immoral Squad split. Like, that riff is just, like, epic in my brain. And we would have those. And that's also why, I, honestly, it's, like, not just fucking kissing your butt, but, like, why I love JD. Because I would just be like, yeah, there's a fucking riff. There was that one song, I don't remember the fucking name, but I would just always be like, can you guys just fucking play that song? Like, I tell you, when we'd be on tour and you're like, for some reason, you're going to pain in the ass about it. I actually it. think it was, I think it was Exit 29. I think so. On the 10-inch. But there was, I yes, it was on you, the 10-inch. I remember you wanting. Because I love that riff. I do also think that's why there was a partial, in my mind, and maybe it was more than I thought, backlash to Panthers was because if Orchid and JD hit at this exact time for this specific group of like 17 and 18 year olds who were ready for this, now they are 21 and 22 and they are both uh, embarrassed by hardcore in a weird way. They're getting over it. And now we're also not giving them exactly what we, they, you know, asked for from before, but also probably wouldn't have been happy with it, you know, and that's me just kind of being neurotic it goes back to what i came into hardcore with like fucking self-loathing and fucking depression and you know being worried about that but i think we were a good band and we just also hit a lot of the check marks that people didn't think that they needed and also like any good art repurposed like i I know i'm being fucking i know it's not just like oh just listen to those bands i was yelling about and that's what we are it's not that at all selaney's influences were so different than mine and Jay, like me and Jay grew up together and even our influences weren't the same. Like Jay was like into youth crew and hip hop. And then I was going down this like, you know, we'd have a Venn diagram of like, you know, I listen to way more metal. And then like Will really liked In Flames, but didn't like this band. And like, but Will knew. But at the same time, we all can make Agatocles jokes together. And just like how dumb certain grindcore was that we love. But it really was that bring in like, Selene's a drummer who said he was a guitarist. So like, that's how we played drums. And so it, in the end, in this, the, the short answer of that, I guess, is, yeah, I think I was just kind of going with it. And I, I knew it worked, man. Like I knew just like, but also 
also got to the point with me where it's like it had to work like it just like that's what we're doing like we're on tour it's gonna work just to just to emphasize what you said about it just working because it was a thing where you weren't like okay we're gonna set these goals and we're i mean there was a, a portion of that when it came to sort of the immediate planning of touring or like recording and stuff like kind of to what you were saying about will being a machine which is great i think every band needs someone like that the bands that i've been that work the least are the ones that don't have a machine yeah like i mean honestly panthers was too democratic possibly (laughs) like in the case of orchid or jerome's dream or in that era of punk rock i have to agree that i think a lot of it was just because everyone was just doing it because that's what they did yeah and and that's what they knew yeah. how to do there really wasn't any perspective on what it would what it was going to become or what kind of cultural impact it would have eventually had on punk no i mean how were we to know in 99 or, or 2000 that 20 years later people were still going to be talking about this subgenre of hardcore or what these types of bands still mean to people and I think this is one of the reasons why I decided to do this podcast and to at least lead with these conversations with the people who I have been directly impacted by, whether it's creative collaboration or brushing elbows um, on tour together for weeks on end mm-hmm. or just loving the music they make. You know, I mean, you're like all the above and also having grown up in Connecticut together, knowing where I came from as a punk, going to a lot of the same shows that I went to. Again, to emphasize the point that you as a musician, as a punk, as someone who sought something different or an alternative to the norm it just was what it was. It's just how it worked. I mean, in part, the, the, I'll say the littlest bit of reaction, like not to go back to Connecticut, all I ask mm-hmm. again, but like I remember distinctly playing a show and all I ask's idea, I remember telling our guitarist, I was like, I want us to be more pleading. And I was getting emo-y bullshit. But I remember playing a show at the tune and we're like, a dude from a Connecticut hardcore band like tackled me during the show because they had heard that they thought we were getting pretentious and talking shit or something. And that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is dumb. Like, I still love this musically, but, like, this is a shit I never want to deal with. What was everyone's concern with being pretentious? I don't know. I mean, I weirdly, like, had this discussion with my dad yesterday where he was, like, talking about it. He's like, I never liked pretension music, like, you know, self-indulgence. And I was just like, I don't know, man. If it works, it works. I don't know. It probably comes from self-consciousness, uh, you know. And, and why people are being indulgent sometimes is self-conscious. I mean, the San Diego scene did feel like a fucking scene. Like, it did feel like a whole thing. Like, and, and, you know, it's like, if you're not into it, then you're like, what are all these fucking guys wearing tight pants and Spock haircuts? And, you know. Jerome's dream was, like, all about it because it was left of center. It was weird. It was different. And it reminds me of um, how I actually used to associate angel hair with San Diego, yeah. but they're, they're from Colorado. Colorado. Exactly. Yeah. And But those types of bands that were, um, yeah. They they almost embraced weird, right? And that's and and that would like I'd have moments I was like ah fuck you for embracing weird that much, but also no I love all those gravity bands. I saw JD when Jeff had bleach blonde hair, and then I saw JD when Jeff had like okay you're doing the San Diego thing like pretty hardcore. I don't even know how that came about. Like I don't even know because I can't even because I didn't know you when I saw with the bleach blonde because I was at some show and maybe. New Haven or Hamden. I don't remember. Early it was days. With reversal, maybe. Uh, Not where? I don't. I, that's the thing. It's like a place I never went to ever again. And I was trying to think the other day, like, what was this show? And I just remember being like, oh, this is the band that plays with Orchid sometimes before I was in the band. And then when we went on tour, I was just like, oh, Jeff. Like, you know, because also Jeff is tall as fuck and I'm a tiny little man. So it was just like this imposing thing with this humongous hair. And then, like, I mean, that's what is also the fun part of JD, where I was just like, how are these three yahoos together? But that's also kind of how it works. There's a Motley crew. (laughs) I would like to think that, like, people would say that about Orchid, too. Like, Jay had a look that wasn't my look and certainly wasn't Selaney's. But Jay was my oldest friend since junior high. And, like, people have a desire, though, too, to, and I think that could be the plus of, you know, this podcast and other podcasts like this to, like, mythologize what was happening. Like, like one of the best conversations I ever had on, on one of my podcasts, but was with Ivar from Enslaved, because I was just like, so, like, the Norwegian black metal scene. Like, it was kind of 
bullshit, right? Like, I mean, kind of, to some extent. Like, I was just asking him, like, it was blown up, right? And he goes, yeah, I mean, it was like 30 kids, and we didn't think it was going to be this, like, what it's become. And that's the thing, like, why did we go on tour together, that one that I had to skip a week? It's because Will had booked him because we were all friends. And like, and then I was like, hey, these are the JD dudes. And I was like, yeah, we met. And then it's just a bunch of bullshit. And did I know kids would be super into it? I mean, half the time, probably not. Because also half the time, it's like, the shows were fine. We play that one house for some reason in like North Carolina or whatever. And the kids went crazy, but... It was always like, we're still playing someone's like apartment, which was both awesome, but also not like, hey, dad, I'm taking a week off of college that you're paying an exorbitant amount about to play at the portrait house in Atlanta or something. Like, you know what I mean? Squaresville. Yeah. Like, you know, you're like, yeah, it's it's not. Wait a minute. Did Orchid, Jerome's Dream, and was it Joshua Fit for Battle and Portrait? I think those four bands played together at Squaresville. I think so. Anton Boardman might have played too. I mean, they all blur together. That's the other yeah, part, it's all too. A blur. So, like, when people, like, now that the Skull Split is this legendary record, certainly that wasn't any thought. Like, it was just, these are the songs Orchid has allotted for this, and I'm sure that JD had for this. And then that was a time of, like, what? who put that one out? Witching Hour? Witching Hour. I love that, too. I don't even remember who put them out. But, like, they were, like, into doing weird shit. Like, so all of a sudden you could figure out that we could do these grooves going this way and that. You know, and then of course Norris is going to draw it, and like it's because it's all of our friends. Like, and and I think this is this is what I'm I'm hearing from you is just the importance of having these experiences with your friends, being creative with your friends, and just doing something that you otherwise never would ever ever do in right. any other circumstance. Right. What I value about our history, our backgrounds, where we came from. And we've talked about this too off the mic in terms of the the pros and cons of growing up as a punk. But I really do, especially in retrospect, now that, you know, we are 40, 40s, you know, it's like... 41, I got a child. Like, <laughs> It's crazy to look back on it and to be like, wow, like we actually did a lot together and, and, right. and something meaningful was creative between all of these people at this particular time. And that's really special. And, and yeah, there might be a moment where like we have all like stepped down from punk rock or we had to take a break from it or we had to focus on school or we had to like, you know, focus on a relationship or, or just fucking like just leave it because there were certain things or that you just feel like punk turned its back on you. Like for me, I felt that a bit. Like I was just like uh, if Panther's, Panthers I was in longer than Orchid. It's hard. How much of it was uh, paranoia on my end? That was just like... Paranoia of what? Paranoia of uh, that... We started this band Panthers because it was just like Orchid was done and we were starting a new style of bands like because we had other influences and we're playing with different people. And all of a sudden it was just like we played ABC No Rio and like I remember guitarists just being like... I don't think we're doing that again. Like, and it was just like, yeah, it doesn't feel like they want us here. And as someone who, like, I was like, I don't think anything in me has changed. Like, I'm still straight edge, and I'm still vegetarian. I still have all these kind of belief systems that were existing, and I'm still listening to heavy music. It's just not, not, and it wasn't any reaction. It was just like, here's a different style of heavy music to me. You know, again, where it's like, reviews and everything could get in the way where I constantly at the beginning was just like I don't care about the MC5 they've got one good song the Stooges mean hardly anything but everything is saying that we sound like MC5 and the Stooges and I'm like I don't know I'm just listening to more kind of like classic rock and stoner rock stuff uh as well as hardcore um but you know when it was just like oh are people like you know again being paranoid that like friend of mine's writing a song about us like we somehow sold out like and it was like also like to me like the cusp of when selling out didn't matter anymore but still did I don't know it's just it sometimes I would have people like I know it's at least one guy who was like stop talking to us because of like we had turned our back on orchid and pant and like hardcore by what we were doing and some choice we made and I would just be like I don't know, man. I'm still eating shit and like working nothing but temp jobs so I can play like kind of a lot of the same places. Like, yeah. Well, 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 at the time, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like the landscape of, of punk and, and underground music in general, it changed, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and of course, everyone got older. 
Orchid fans all of a sudden were writing for Pitchfork. And honestly, as someone who's written uh, music reviews, it's a lot hard, a lot harder to write a sincere review than to write something snarky. I think there was a changing of the guard. And again, it was like you asked before, what changed for going into Orchid? It was college. What changed with Panthers? I was done with college. We all moved to Brooklyn because like I needed to go somewhere with a film degree <laughs> like and then probably not do much with it because I'm still following music. It's like, you know, a, a curse to some extent. Like I, I, I have on the one end where I'm like, punk is great. Hardcore is the best. I love it more than anything. It's made it so we've got this friendship that we're like 20 years later, we're still talking about this stuff and all these people I know from around the world. And then also, oh man, how did it ruin me? Like, how did it fucking destroy like how I live my life? Uh, feed into uh, like, you know, a lot of the bad habits and the bad mental states that I have. Feed into like some weird desire to, you know, uh, not not push myself where it's just like, yeah, sure, we played on the floor as Orchid, but like sometimes I didn't want to play on the floor. <laughs> like sometimes I didn't want everyone touching me, and sometimes I didn't want everyone stepping on my pedal to get me out of the way, so Jay could fucking you know they could sing to Jay. Like while I'm like I'm trying to play this bass part over here, like leave me alone. Like I don't like you enough for you to be touching me. <laughs> But, you know, like, uh, it, this is something also, though, at 41, like, I'm, you know, I might sound like a crazy bird, but I'm, like, reconciling now. Like, I'm like, okay, like, how do I, you know, still maintaining all of, like, I've still, it's like, am I still the same person? <laughs> yes. Like, I'm kind of also unchanging in my face and, like, everything. So, <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm Dorian Gray, but with fucking punk. <laughs> It becomes so ingrained in you that even when you become older, because it was such a prominent part of your your youth, growing up as a punk kid and being exposed to this type of stuff, whether it's going to shows or playing shows or traveling the world through this type of portal, you know, I mean, a lot of people can go on vacation and like have a much different experience in Paris or Denmark versus the group of, of young kids who flew out there somehow, some way, by selling X amount of t-shirts or X amount of seven inches, and then meeting up with other like-minded kids who would throw on a DIY show and uh, make a vegetarian meal for them and then get them on their way to the next spot. Like, again, just painting this picture of the uniqueness of, of our world growing up in this scene while also trying to figure out how to become a functioning adult and a functioning member of society the when you, and, and it's, it's it's the 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 complexity of mentally uh, i think hardcore inst- like you know doesn't instill but can further along of looking down on everything and looking to, and just being like ugh that's a normo like ugh they don't get it but then i'm like but i do i i still have to live in that world like Punk and hardcore always had a lot like, it's a lot like when I first read Nausea by Sartre, if I can get super pretentious, but I wasn't fucking Orchid. Uh, but uh, I remember reading it for the first time and just being like, yeah, I don't know. Why am I reading this? This is just what I felt before. Uh, it was the same with Straight Edge. Like, I remember when I found out that Straight Edge was a thing, I was just like, oh, cool. There's a name to the thing that I already have, which is this, like, anger at drinking and drugs and the culture that goes around it, like, that I didn't know what the hell it was. At the same time, some of those aren't healthy. <laughs> like, some of those are, are separative. It's both a gift and a curse. Like, it's like, you can't, I can't not think in this way. But then not everyone else is sitting there like beating themselves over the head like, you know, like it's hard. It's hard when you're weeding through how how do I appreciate this and how much do I see the parts where it's kind of like kept me from, you know, when when I'm, you know, when my other life is doing writing and doing comedy writing, especially it, it informs it, but it doesn't help. Like, it doesn't help me to find writing gigs. It doesn't help me because I'll just be like, no, that's beneath me. Like, that's not, I don't want to support that. And and it's hard. Like, I, at Panthers, I even would have that times where, like, I remember when we were sponsored by Sparks. 
that fucking, you know, if no one remembers, it was malt liquor and energy drink mixed together. Yeah, like I'd find empty cans of Sparks all over Williamsburg. Yeah, exactly. And we were sponsored by it because we were on Vice. It was probably all you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, and but I was sitting there like, we're taking money from this thing and I am 100% straight edge. Like, I'm not like, oh, I'm drug free or whatever. Like, and then like, I'd be like, no, I mean, there's an element that's interesting. They're paying me for that this thing that's essentially liquid cocaine but that's also was part of being on vice i thought vice was good but also we had to have a conversation where we're like yeah this guy gavin seems real fucking racist like it was right before he became who he was and they were like yeah we're working on it like and we weren't gonna sign because it was just like just because i don't really give a fuck about barcodes versus not barcodes i still am like have ebullition in my brain, in my brain, and in my gut, sort of thing. We're a part of this this culture that has particular sets of ideals and principles, and I think a lot of them are good. But then, you know, to what you're saying, I agree. Where I think a lot of it is, it can be limiting, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the decisions we make, yeah. or you know, what we choose to to get involved in or with. I feel like we we all have our own relationships with punk and the culture of punk and and you know especially when you're when you're a little bit older and you're just trying to figure it figure it out like how it integrates with the rest of your life you know I've definitely had my own struggles with it and figuring out how to find the balance and I didn't really think about it so much until we decided to start playing shows again right. and with Jerome's dream I have a very particular relationship with the music. I have a very particular mindset when it comes to uh, playing this music. And after not doing it for so long, and then suddenly getting thrust back into it, you know, to a degree where we're we're playing every night for you know the, the latter half of the year, basically, I've found myself challenged by the relationship with. You know, I mean, with punks, you know, you, there's you, you approach everything with a level of intensity mm-hmm. and a, a level of intention that I think a lot of people don't necessarily share in their day to day life. But our approach to things, um, just by default, being a part of this this thing that uh, is revolves around, you know, heavy very expressive emotive type music <clears throat> and i'm only speaking from my own personal experience with the music that that we've made as a band like basically i had challenges this year like you said it was both it's both a blessing and a curse because you've put yourself in this mentality to make this music mm-hmm. you're put in a particular headspace when you play the music but then like you know you go to the grocery store and you're interacting with other yeah. regular people and it, it's almost like ah like how do you and it feels more insane because you're not in a world where everyone around you feels like they're doing it, right. like where everyone's into punk. Everyone is, you know, and, and most everyone, people don't know. Yeah. Or so have like, any idea. Right. And so and there is also like a weird uh, embarrassment when I would start to get involved at UCB, like I I. I to comedy used to be for so long. But like every once in a while, like I kind of hide it, but people would be like, oh, you play music. And then I'd be like, well, not how you know. And even Panthers, to some extent, like, Panthers was more so. I could be like, oh, it makes a little bit more sense. Do you know who Queens of the Stone Age are? Like, sure, that. Yeah. Have you heard of Vice? Yeah, have you heard of Vice? Like, <laughs> there, there was more context. Do you know Steve people- Aoki now? Like, and it'd always be like, yes, yeah, Steve put out our fucking first record, or second record. Versus, like, my uh, good buddy Matt Rubano. Like, he played in All American Rejects and, like, Taking Back. And so it's like, I was like, no, no, no. He's on Lauren Hill's record. Talk to him about rock and roll. The way in which people receive the work that you've made, in this case, Orchid has been probably the, the most recognized, even though you've been incredibly prolific musically and, of course, with your, your writing career and being a comic and all the UCB stuff later down the road in your life, like, we're having a conversation about a very particular time in our life that has, for some reason, and I think we've touched on some of the, the reasons why this stuff has, has landed or has stuck, you know, for a lot of people and... I think one of the one of the takeaways of of everything that we've been talking about 
is I think at the end of the day, when you deliberately try to find truth in what you do and you collaborate with the right people, whether it's deliberate or it just happens to happen that way, which in our case, it just happened to be that way. I mean, of course, you and Jay grew up together in the same town, longtime friends, but the chemistry between the the entire group of the band, Orchid, or the chemistry between the three uh, the three of us in, in Jerome's Dream, it's one of those things where like you can't really like create a strategy around it. You sort of just just get up and go and you do it and something happens. And that thing that happens is a result of again going back to what you were saying earlier about not, not just like letting it roll or just not really trying to like check all the boxes even though it just so happened that a lot of the boxes were checked just by what you created. Yeah. I don't really know where I'm going with this in terms of like kind of recapping our, the, the, the conversation and the, the points that we've touched on when it comes to being in punk rock, being in bands, being truthful in what you do and having real intention. I think that's that's key. But then the, the added component to where we are older now and trying to figure out how it all works within our life and how we establish a relationship that's both healthy and productive mm-hmm. And just figuring out that next iteration of it all with our challenges being older and and in your case, you know, having your family and having relocated out here, you know, just trying to figure out like what's next for you, both personally, artistically, creatively. It's basically a never ending path. It is. I think that's why, uh, you know, as someone who is a big proponent of therapy, why a lot of people will if they even start it, will stop it because it's a long path. And life is a fucking long path. It requires patience. It requires patience and, and trust in that like, oh, three years down the line, something this thing will now make sense. And I think to me that, you know, is it, it's a chicken or the egg thing. Like, is it because of punk or was it furthered by punk? Uh, but, you know, it, I, I would like to think there is this... Uh, there's a desire to continue to grow. It's like, what are my life goals? Like one of them is to be like, yeah, I want to be like 80 and still be like fucking trying to grow. Like, you know, I, 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 it, it helps. I have a wife who like wrote a book on growth mindset, but like to have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, which I think punk has a lot of fixed mindset stuff. So it's working against that and acknowledging that, in the in the most hippie sort of way ever, fuck the Grateful Dead, but that we do have all of our own path, and just acknowledging that, like it's like that's where like not getting buried in like oh I should have done this, and maybe people didn't like that. That it's like in the most kind of realistic version, it's like yeah, what are you gonna do, man? Like in some days, that's what I'll just tell myself. It's just like what the fuck are you gonna do? Like yeah, okay, you you didn't do this thing that you considered normal at this point, okay. But you did this other thing, and some people are going to be envious of it, and other people aren't. Continue on any of my other life mottos, you learn to love the rope. Like, life is fucking painful sometimes. You learn to love the rope, and uh, because then they can't hurt you with it. <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to your own personal relationship with what it is that is in front of you, and how you handle it, how you go about it, to find a place in your mind where the outside chatter and static doesn't affect how you feel about it or the decisions that you're making. It really comes down to your own personal relationship with what you've got in front of you, whether it's, you know, your your writing or whether it's your music or whether it's your family or whether it's your friends or whether it's, you know, culture at large. Like, if you could really get quiet in your head and sort of identify the why behind your you know why is it that you're still gravitating towards this music if you like if it's just because like you like it and it it gives you that visceral feeling when you put it in your headphones or on the record player like that well that's it i just i just like it if you're doing it because you're high school quarterback in it and it's just like this is the best time my life like it's not my favorite version of it but godspeed another one of the end goals is to just like try to find where you're both present and not alienating the outside world and not forgetting about the outside world and actually being like here I am like 
Ram Das, man. I fucking live in LA now. Be here now. But I mean, there is a legitimacy to that. Like, I mean, fucking give me a crystal uh, and l- let me listen to some idiot talk about their gluten free diet for too long. Well, welcome to LA. Welcome to LA, baby. I got sunglasses on. We're sitting on a fucking porch. Shall we get some tacos? Ugh, of course, not stuff. Fuck your bagels, New York. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and share this on social media. You can also make a donation, buy a t-shirt, or simply send me a note of encouragement. That's always nice. Thanks for listening.